This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Welcome to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. Let me take you back, way, way, way back. It's the year 1993, and I'm a teenager shooting hoops in my own backyard. Wu-Tang Clan's 36 Chambers, man, I love that album. It's blaring in my Walkman. As I'm about to take a shot, Rizzo's voice stops me dead in my tracks. You see, those words hit, not just for me, but for an entire generation. The Wu-Tang Clan changed hip-hop music and me forever. You see, as an athlete, you have to believe you're the best. Yeah, you can go out and practice, you can put in the work, but at the end of the day, if you don't think you're going to make it, you never will. It's the same in hip-hop. When RZA founded the Wu-Tang Clan, along with Raekwon, Ghostface Killer, Old Dirty Bastard, and the rest of the Wu-Tang MCs, man, I just love saying their names, it gives you that vibe, doesn't it? He believed they were going to be the best, the very best. 30 years later, his music still sits at the very top of the best of hip-hop. He reached the pinnacle. But once you reach the top, where do you go from there? For RZA, he never stopped pushing himself and hip-hop. He even has a new album out called Saturday Afternoon Kung Fu Theater. And he's one of the very first to ever think about what it means to be an elder statesman of hip-hop and creating generational wealth. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down. Here's my conversation with the legendary hip-hop producer, RZA. It's a pleasure to meet you, brother. I got to tell you, man, um, I can't tell you how many times I've recited your lyrics as a 13-year-old kid shoveling the snow outside in Jersey. So much respect and love to everything you've accomplished in your life, man. You are you are king among kings, man. So much respect and love, first and foremost. Thank you, Jay. I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad that uh, anything that we did artistically resonated with you and made your day better or cooler or whatever. You know what I mean? So thank you, too. I got to ask you, Rizzo, like when I make mentions of names like Jay Dilla, Kanye, Just Blaze, Pete Rock, Dr. Dre, DJ Premier, Timberland, Eric B., yourself, like did you ever think that you would be in that rarefied air as one of the greatest hip hop producers of all time? You know, you don't know, right? You have an instinct when you're trying to approach art. And especially hip hop, which is a very competitive form of art, you have an instinct that you can be great. You know, as an MC, you feel like you're the best MC. You have this, you know, even MC Hammer said he's the best MC, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a confidence needed, you know? And then when it came to me as a producer, what I did know was that my approach to it was purely from hip hop and not really from other aspects of music. What I mean by that is some producers, you know, you could say their sound was was jazz. It's hip hop, but it's you hear a lot of jazz samples, mm. funk samples, James Brown samples. And I wanted to try to create something that even if it was samples, it only could be identified as hip hop. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so exactly. I, I didn't want to get bracketed like, in the beginning, he's making a new style of jazz. He's making a new style of funk. 
I just wanted to be hip hop and not R&B, not reggae, nothing, you know? And so I think with that intention, it allowed me to definitely carve a piece of it out. You know what I mean? It's like your, your sound is so distinct, though. I, I read something, and obviously this this brings it all the way back to 1993, your debut with Enter the Wu-Tang, right? Which I go back to the album when I was 13 years old. That It, it was so descriptive, man. It blew me away about how I looked at you because it said the outlook was eccentric and encyclopedic, drawing on esoteric knowledge, comic books, street lore, chopsaki films, crime stories, black nationalism, martial arts, and chess. And Riz, like, I think like I'm into chess. I'm into martial arts. I'm into chopsaki films. Like, w- can you describe to me where that distinct sound or where the origination of that thought process came from for you? Well, they say the child you are is what makes you the man you become. And so... All of these childhood loves, the ones all you just listed right there, and then the technological ability to play with turntables and play with four tracks and put sounds together, right? So I was, you know, I started first uh, without a sampler, right? We had a four track tape recorder and a drum machine, and you'll just, you know, cut the beat first, whatever uh, drum loop you wanted to cut. Then you'll find other records and go on top of it. And the things I would put on top would be so obscure. I took screaming Jay Hawkins. Uh, <laughs> my God. Yes. Then I, then I took Wild Man Steve, the comedian. Got something from him. And then I got uh, some uh, Peter Pan record that was like Peter Pan played by the Philadelphia Orchestra or something like that. You know what I mean? And I would just cut another one and cut another sound in. And when it when the crew heard it on the streets, you know, people back in those days would get your tape and dub it. They was playing it in, in the Jeeps. It was, pump, it was like the neighborhood hit of the summer. Mm. And I was the man, you know what I mean? And so I continued down that path. And then when I got a sampler, you know, when, when I got that SB1200, it gave me the power now to manipulate, to chop, and to put all these different ingredients together. And I think I put the most weirdest ingredients together because I'm looking at, you know, a comic. I'm looking at a kung fu movie. I'm, I'm playing chess in the in the streets. I'm living the street life, trying to survive, and all that. You know, the grittiness of New York. That's what's in my head. I'm capturing it. You know, we're banging drums. We're banging on drums. You know, to tell you know the engineer recording it in elevator shafts just to get the certain sound that you can't get other places, you know, um, just, you know, just capturing New York. And so I think that is that. I think it's the childhood loves. It's the then the, the DJ ability to, to translate that into the technology of sampling and understanding what that is. And mind you, I did all this, you know, I, I had no, no instruction manual, you know. So it was also discovery in the process. Did that kind of eccentric thinking process did that make you kind of misunderstood because you saw or heard things differently than how other people saw them like you know so much of upbringing has to do with do you fit in especially back then Mm -hmm. did you feel like you fit in or did you fit out that's a good question jay i think i fit in on the surface 
Like, so I'm right there in the crew and, and you know, Alpha as well and got a lot of students, you know, like I'm good. Um, but the four of me fits out because there's still this awkwardness about me, this non-understanding um, mm. about me that existed. And it only came out like, if you look at me as an artist, right? And, you know, my manager, he concurred that I could, I'm a great lyricist and, you know, that's why he signed me. You know, Tommy Boy gave me a record deal. They heard my lyrics and they realized I was saying something very witty and unique and, you know, a good MC. My voice wasn't the normal hip hop voice, nor was my cadence, but mm-hmm. it was something there, right? It was something there. Something awkward about it, I think. Not as awkward as De La Soul because they, theirs was awkward, but had it was still accessible. <laughs> you know what I mean? My awkwardness <laughs> yes, I do. was kind of almost like like olive tapenade. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you, know, you got you, you to gotta grow, grow into that taste. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I would say that, so not fitting in at that capacity, but I think that, you know, as an MC, that was the element. But my lyrical content, like all, all my peers, you know, they thought I was the best. But I always felt that my the, the thing that was hurting me from really shining was that the production that I was seeking from other producers wasn't really uh, accenting me as a lyricist or mm. even the rest of my crew. That's how I felt. So I wanted to make it myself. And it was doubt. You know, a lot of, a lot of people doubted that what I was doing would be um, successful, be accepted, because it wasn't as simple as taking funky drummer with a bass line and making you dance. If you think about a lot of the Wu-Tang songs, when they come on sometimes, you stop dancing hmm. and you start listening. Listening, exactly. I can't tell you how many times was it I stopped shoveling or stopped hooping to rewind the the tape back to just let me listen. What what did he say again? Wow. Right. He put it together like that. Like it stopped you in time. Right. And that was something that, uh, you know, it was a blessing to be able to do that. I think, I think uh, in the beginning, think of an executive whose job is to have uh, radio hits and club hits that really fits a formula. And here comes a guy without a formula. How does he fit in? And one thing I think people overlooked in the, in that day is that music not only has a rhythm and a groove, but it has a spirit. And sometimes it's the spirit that moves you or that makes you, like I said, stop and listen or whatever it gives you that day. Make you clean up your house or drive your car faster or, 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 or slow it down. You know what I mean? It's, it's not just the let's, you know, the, let's get the party going, you know? While getting ready for this conversation, I mean, you should have seen me. I was like a little kid in a candy store as I went through those early Wu-Tang records, and I was just in awe. RZA brought together these rappers with completely different styles of rapping and made it work. Just listen to my man, Raekwon. Ghostface. Dwelling in the past, flashbacks when I was young. Jizza. Put your blood baths and elevate the shafts like these murderers. RZA listened for what made them unique and let them shine. But he didn't just have an ear for music. He's also a genius strategist. And he had a plan to take these men to number one and beyond. All he asked 
was for them to let him be their CEO for five years. RZA breaks down that plan after a quick break. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. I feel like so much of who we become is a byproduct of where we came from. So I want to go back a little bit more to your childhood for a second, Brizzo. So when you were younger and 19 members of your extended family were living in a two-bedroom apartment, two-bedroom apartment, Yeah. what did that teach you about family, first and foremost? I mean, I guess the one thing it taught me was... uh uh, get in where you fit in, right? <laughs> so yeah. That's the funny part. Yeah. Like, yo, because no, you you might not sleep in the same place you slept last night. You know what I mean? But um, more importantly, yo, I think being around that many people, you know, even having 11, brother, 11 brothers and sisters coming from a big family, I think it taught me the understanding of personalities. It taught me to be able to navigate personalities. And when I look at the Wu-Tang Clan, which are very, these are all alpha. These ain't like no, no, no chumps. These are dudes that's the alpha and they got a crew or a bunch of dudes looking up to them. And they're taking, and, now, and some of them bigger than me, more muscles, more stronger, more with orders, you know what I mean? But I had this ability to understand personalities and have also an ability of empathy, you know? And that mm-hmm. ability of empathy, uh, that I got just growing up in my family, it worked and it helped as I'm navigating with my crew. Did that make you more aware of how you had to bring people together in particular with the Wu? Or did that leave you any blind spots because you were so empathetic that maybe you tried too much to help people? I heard you described as a uh, impresario, right? Like an organizer, this guy who's able to bring people together in the best form or fashion. Do you feel like that helped you with your strengths and weaknesses to a degree? Yeah, I think it's more strength than weakness because I think the strength of it is the result that it gives to the people you bring together, the result of the product that comes out of that, whether it's some form of art, whether you brought people together to build a home or whether, you know, you brought people together to to start a revolution, whatever, the, 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 
the, the, the good is going to outweigh the bad. The weakness of it sometimes falls back upon yourself, which is um, the expectation that may now arise from people uh, expecting you to be at a certain capacity, mm-hmm. you know, yearning uh, and maybe even becoming dependent upon that personality that you obtain. So it could be weakness and that, and that, that could hurt you. But I think that's the sacrifice, especially if we're working towards the good. It just seems like those experiences as a teen really set you up for building out the Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, you brought together nine rappers and made them into one group. Tell me about the moment you realized your vision for the Wu-Tang. Was it something that just happened or was it something that grew over time and developed? Of course, it grew over time because the talent had to grow, right? You know, it takes 10 years to become a master, they say. And I think if you look at... I'm writing my first lyric at the age of nine. So by the time we formed Wu-Tang Clan, which is 19 years old, because we, we actually was talking Wu-Tang at the age of 19, even though we didn't get a chance to share it with the world until three years later. It, it's a process, but the vision of the success that accumulated with the awareness of myself. You know, I can't describe it in words, but it's definitely, it's almost a spine tingling feeling you get when you hear some great music and you, and you feel it all up your back and everything. You, When I had that, and it was like, I'm, if I follow this procedure here, I'm going to make it to number one. You know what I mean? Mm. I guess the best way to say it is like to get the inspiration and to motivate yourself and move with a determined idea. So determined. You can't be deterred. Nothing was going to stop me. No, nobody could even talk me out of it. It's like, I guess, uh, I guess I didn't know that then, but I can say this now. I guess when the Holy Quran says, like, who's going to says who's going to make it to paradise? It don't say, you know, the Christians or the Jews or the Muslims. It don't say, <laughs> you know what I mean, or the or the Hindus. It says the believers. You know what I mean? Those who believe one hundred percent in the aspects of that destination, and so that one hundred percent. Because believing is sometimes to believe could be defined to agree without knowing, right? But when you truly believe, you actually know. When you truly believe, it's not believing without knowing. You believe it because you know. You know that five fingers is here and five fingers is here and I got 10. And nobody's going to tell me that it's 20 or 8. I know it. I believe it and I know it. It becomes one and the same. And I had that determined idea um, in me at that age. And I just saw it and I couldn't be deterred from it. And I shared it with my brothers and they agreed, you know what I mean? And whether they knew it or not didn't matter because sometimes a scientist has the equation and the other scientists don't know it yet, but they trust that he's been on it for a long time. so the chances of him being right is is really based on the faith of him, right? And then as time goes on, he proves that equation. And so I asked my crew to give me five years of their life uh, in a dictatorship mentality, and we're going to get to number one. And at the five-year mark, number one album in the world, Wu-Tang Forever. And you call that that five-year plan, right? And that's essentially... Yeah. That's where that moment occurred where you released an album as a group and then you released individual albums. That's so 
surgical. You you built a brand and you amplified the individual brands in the overall larger group brand. Yes. And consciously. And that's only going for what? Doing the knowledge. I knew that Jizza had, you know, I know him and I know that colleges would accept him. I know that he's the type of guy with his way he thinks is 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 academic in nature. It's lyrical, his flow is all great, but also, you know, and and as and as he evolved, he's now speaking, helping science get back in schools and going to colleges and speaking. But he was already that then. And I saw that. I knew Raekwon and Ghost was strictly, you know, I knew all the gangsters were gonna love them. They 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 were gangsters. You know, I mean, they was real. And 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 the voice of that generation of gangsters wasn't on your radio, it wasn't on your TV set. You know what I mean? And I don't mean just gangster, just blah, 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 blah. But I mean like just dudes to who just, you know, that's just super real if the if the cause was needed. You know what I mean? And mm. and I knew that a lot of people out there was gonna to relate to that. Even though Meth wasn't intentionally wanting to be a sex symbol, you know, because he was a rough dude, but nah, he was a sex symbol at the end of the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he couldn't hmm. he couldn't Hide that, even though he, you know, he tried to get away from it, but not. Nah. It's just like, yo, the women and children is gonna come more running to you. And you know what? When this album came out, out of all of us, he was the one that had the limousine chases. The whole, you know, what I mean, like people chasing the limousine. And I saw it. You know, what I mean, I saw it. When you were in the studio while you guys were recording this, did you did you recognize at that moment that this was potentially going to be the greatest hip hop album of all time? I would say I, I just recognized that this was definitely going to be great and different and was definitely going to exist, you know, in the Canaan. You know, I don't want to be too egotistical when I go to the greatest hip hop album of all time, but I knew the Wu-Tang Clan were the best. You know what I mean? I knew it. I like this is we, you know, we are the best right now and we're the best because look, what makes us the best? is hip hop itself born this, like it born all the other great hip hoppers. At one point, it was undeniable that Rakim was the best. It was undeniable, he was born out of hip hop. He did it and he approached, and, we, and when the world, when we heard it, it was like, yo, that's great. It's not good, it's great. When Big Daddy Kane, you know, when he did that demo with Biz Marquee, and we heard him, Mr. Kane in the flesh. Of course I'm fresh. You thought that I was lying. I bet when he came in with that rhyming with Biz and it just played on the radio, when we heard it, it was like, yo, that's great. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. the same thing goes back to the Jizza, Method Man, Raekwon, Ghost. You know what I mean? When when I was just hearing them in my community, when they just coming to my crib and making demos, I was like, yo, that's great. And then to take all of that energy and put it together, that's what makes it, when I say the best, it's like, it ain't just two great MCs or three great MCs or four great MCs or five great MCs. I mean, people don't even talk about Inspector Deck, but Inspector Deck probably wrote some of the greatest hip hop bars in the game. Of all time, yes. Right? Facts. You just keep adding on to it. You go, wow, it's just getting greater and greater. And it's a, a culmination of greatness. You know what I mean? And each one has given us something, not to, not to keep talking right about the crew, but each one has given us a perspective and an angle, an approach of hip hop that has a common denominator, but yet it's still different. 
So we think about you, God, raw, I'm gonna give it to you with no trivia. Roll like cocaine straight from Bolivia. My hip hop will rock and shock the nation like the Emancipation Proclamation. It's like, yo, just that line is 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 so compacted with information and 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 spirit. You know what I mean? And so, um, and of course, ODB is giving us an energy. His energy still hasn't reemerged yet. You know, like some like some of us, you may say, oh. You may pit this guy against status. His energy has not reemerged yet. Like it was only him that had it, and nobody else. Singularity uh, have reemerged with that energy. You know, to me, Ye has a has a spoonful of ODB energy because of his bravery, uh, his expression of pain. ODB also was a very pained artist. Um, you know, the, the walking on stage. You know, to the Grammys, you see, yeah, he did it himself, right? Mm -hmm. um, but nobody's singularity has uh, ODB spirit, has not reemerged. You know what I mean? When you say his name, Rizzo, how does that make you feel? I mean, I got so much love for him. It's, I'm so grateful that I was able to spend a, a, a great chunk of my life with him. He was like, he was, he was, you know, one of my arms at one point. You know what I mean? That's how tight me and were, you know. And uh, so I always feel, uh, you know, like a sense of, of 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 loss and missing because it's just like he's not here to see all these things that we dreamed about, talked about and laid up in the bed until dawn talking about what we could be and what we could do. And this is like 13, 14. And uh, and so definitely some a life cut short, in my opinion. Um, but then there's the part of that I know, like, yo, hey, son, you did it, though, you 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 rock the world. You shock the world. And you left a indelible imprint on this world. You can hear it there. RZA grappling with legacy, his own and that of the Wu Tang Clan. After the break, RZA has a new plan for how to turn rappers into rock stars and cash in on the legacies they built. Watch out, Rolling Stones. This is the limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams. Support for NPR and the following message come from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. International travel can be life-changing, but an unexpected emergency can make your trip memorable for all the wrong reasons. Allianz Travel Insurance provides benefits for medical emergencies, trip cancellations, travel delays, and more. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. This message comes from Schwab. It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in with Schwab Investing Themes, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, and electric vehicles. Choose from over 40 customizable themes. More at schwab.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. 
This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Not that this analogy compares at all, Riza, but you know when I got drafted second, there was a lot of pressure on me because people would say, oh, you're great. You were the second pick in the draft to live up or exceed this expectation. So when you guys came out with, quote unquote, the greatest hip hop album ever, how did you personally deal with the pressure to what's next? How do I make what we just have so different that it's better than what was before? How did you deal with that? I just think, to be honest with you, Jay, I I'm, I just keep creating. Right? I don't have to repeat what I've done. And if you think about it, some people may argue Liquid Swords is better than it, right? Some people could argue Cuban Links is it, you know what I mean? You know, you talk to Pusha T, and his team of Cuban Links is the greatest hip-hop album, right? The point is, though, Cuban Links don't sound like 36 Chambers, you know what I mean? You could tell it's from the same, but it's like, no, it's a, di- it's a different movie. And I think that if you it's really, when they do go back and check my catalog and start looking at it with them, um, magnifying glass, they'll realize that, yo, it, it, even though it, it's all Wu-Tang, it's so many angles of approach that he, that I took. And that's just how I am. You know what I mean? When I was learning hip-hop, there was an MC that was like, I never say the same rhyme twice. Like, I don't know if it was the uh, Fearless Four or, or was it Cold Crush Brothers, but somebody said that in their lyric, you know, as I'm a young listener. And I took heed to that. I was like, yeah, I'm never going to, you know, make the same beat twice or something. Like, like I wanted to, like, hmm. never have to run out of it. And, you know, and, it, and so every now, you know, of course, as time goes on, I may give you another interpretation of a, of a track. There has been, a, you know, four or five tracks in my career that I think that I reinterpreted, like the track from Tears. I, I used that record and grabbed another part of it and, and used it for another song because I always wanted to use that part, but it didn't work in the original song. So I've done that. But majority of the times, I'm always seeking, always digging, always finding ways to express uh, this art and this hip-hop art form. You know, when you get a chance to see rock artists these days and they're still touring, making millions of dollars, tens of millions, actually, do you feel that the role of an elder statesman of yourself of hip-hop is to continue to push that narrative that like, hey, like there is a there is an opportunity out here to create generational wealth of knowledge by how you perform. Yes, I do. And I and that's what I'm striving to do. So that goes back to, you know, I saw that, you know, I have a lot of rock and roll friends. You know, I was blessed to break bread with them and hang out and and I seen how they, you know, how they do it. And I was trying to tell my brothers like we could get on a regimen that will lead to that. And it's like, you know, like, you know, Bob Marley, I think, um, Wu-Tang, um, you know, you go back to rock and roll, you're going to get the Doors, Pink Floyd, there's certain albums and certain things that's like rights of passage. You're going to pass by this in order to get to where you have to get to. Since that is a reality now and it's happening, we did a concert in, uh, 
Long Beach uh, a, a few weeks ago. Actually, it was just a one-off, but everybody showed up. And the crazy thing is, you don't know who's going to show up. You know, you, <laughs> you just go. You know what I mean? <laughs> the audience, though, ranged from you know nineteen-year-olds all the way up to forty-year-olds. You know what I mean? Either fifty-year-olds, all there. And I was like, okay. So going back to your thing about the, do I think it's necessary for for me and for the Wu Tang Clan to continue the tour and and share the knowledge as, and, and and then maybe perhaps gain the wealth of what the music industry offers rock and roll artists and offers you know the greats yes i think we should and i think we should continue i think it's almost our duty to continue to represent because hip hop is new still you know it's new it's the newest form of music right now that's that's and it's the most popular form of music and its story hasn't been told all the way yet, and we could continue to tell it. You know, in, in your new album, you have a song called Fisherman, which it talks about glamorizing prison life, glamorizing sex, drugs, gangs, things of that sort. So many black youth locked in a box for life, for life. It wasn't worth the sacrifice. Do you feel like the informational aspect or style that you guys approached hip-hop with is still being translated correctly in today's version of hip-hop? No, I think there's a lack of that particular substance. Hip-hop is is more flooded with, you know, the chase of money, the enjoyment of drugs, the enjoyment of sex, the gang. You know, a lot of, you know, gangs are back, you know, even, you know, all over the country. And it's understandable because young men, we pass through that. But what hip hop was in the original, it was actually, it was anti-gang, you know? It was a way to, to, to express violence uh, without being physical. It wasn't something that was made to make money from. It was something to made to entertain us because of lack of money, you know what I mean? The artist mm-hmm. didn't have uh, canvases in his house and paintbrushes. He had a can, a, a spray paint. And the subway trains and the walls became his canvases because that's all that was available. The lyricist and the poet didn't have a place where he could go and be uh, at a poetry lounge or perform on stage and none of that. The the stage was the block parties. You know what I mean? The dancers didn't have Alvin Ailey schools and, and, and Broadway. You know what I mean? The concrete and the cardboard was the place. So hip hop was these things and it, and it grew of course and it became economical and it became a place where some people could express drugs and sex but it also had Karis ones you know big daddy canes and and rakim you know shabazz it had it had a balance so you could dance with the jungle brothers but you could get some afrocentric knowledge from tribe core quests you know what i mean and so i think we're lacking that substance in order for me to even put music out, which I'm doing here, I'm I'm really giving it, giving it away to say like, yo, here go a spoonful of that. And the best I could I could uh, wish for is that a hip hop artist hears it <laughs> and get inspired and start bringing that substance back. This for me, one thing I've learned is that sometimes Wu Tang is is for the artist community, sometimes not, not the fan community. It's just for like. Somebody else to hear it and they go, okay, mm, let me add that to mine. I forgot about that, Riz. Thanks. You know? Man, that's so deep. 
Tell me what you're trying to get across in your music now. Well, like I said, it's adding a spoonful of substance and a, a spoonful of fun. Me and DJ Scratch, DJ Scratch, you know, a legendary hip hop producer. Um, we communicated with each other during the quarantine. I checked on him and his family and then, you know, it's everything as well. Then I spoke to him about this old beat that he had in his catalog and does he still have it? He said, yes. I said, I've been feeling really lyrical now. I want to write an album. He's like, yo, I got a lot of tracks that I, that I made like with the Wu-Tang in mind. I said, well, send them to me. And he sent them to me. And what we wanted to do collectively, we wanted to kind of give that feeling that we had when we was young, which was in New York City uh, at three o'clock on Saturdays, they had Kung Fu Theater on Channel 5. And we would all go upstairs, leave, you know, I don't care if you was a hustler, a break dancer, playing basketball, you would go upstairs and the, and the, the whole projects would be cleared out and everybody be up in the crib watching the Kung Fu movies and then come back out after it was over and start flipping and making new chucks out of our mom's boomsticks and, 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 and you know, just emulating what we saw. And it, it was actually joyful and inspirational. And so this album is hopefully can do that. And also uh, information, you know, it was for us, you know, we didn't know what Shaolin was or what, or, or the culture of China, China and Chinese brothers and, and the chivalry and, and honor, you know, and watching, you know, look at Bruce Lee fighting, fighting oppression. There's a scene where it says no dogs are Chinese allowed. And he broke that sign. You know what I mean? You think about, you know, we are just a second generation away from can't drink from the water fountain. You know what I mean? And so that those heroic natures resonated with us and we wanted to make an album that kind of just be, bring you back to that, have some fun. And lyrically, if you hear some of my lyrics, I am, uh, you know, I'm saying certain things that definitely have political context. I think I said despotism, socialism, capitalism, communism, forgot the wisdom. <laughs> so we sitting in a rotten system. Huh. All these isms are useless without wisdom. And I went on to say, um, left, right, come together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just bring the left and right together, form this W, put your hands up, Wu-Tang is forever. You know what I mean? Huh. So, yeah. Tie it all back together. Yeah, so I think it's healthy. I think it's the vegetables of the day. Well, look, man, I'm a fan of your music. I listened to the new album. I think it's dope. And even more importantly, man, I, I think you are an incredible, enlightening human being who continues to need to shine to spread your wisdom because your words today have moved me in ways, man, I can't even explain. So I wanted to say thank you. I appreciate you, Riza, so much for what you've done to the, for your community, for our community, and for our listeners here today, man. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Respect. Peace. A huge thank you to Riza and his whole team for making this conversation go down. His album with DJ Scratch is called Saturday Afternoon Kung Fu Theater. It's a dope listen. Trust me. And there's so much more from our conversation that's dropping this Thursday in the Limits Plus feed. Like how Rizza learned to reject white colonialist views of his people. And some thoughts for his friend Kanye West on how to preserve his own legacy. Hit that link in the description of this episode to subscribe. The Limits is produced by Karen Kinney, Mano Sundaresan, Lena Sunsgiri, Barton Gerwood, Brent Bachman, Rachel Neal, Yolanda Sanguini. Our executive producer is Anya Grunman. Music by Ramteen Arab Louie. Special thanks to Charlotte Riggi and Edward Wyckoff Williams. I'm Jay Williams. Let's stay positive and keep it moving.
Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.